Lord, help us today to understand your word. Guide me in speaking about your word. Your word is precious to us. Thank you for this morning. It's a special day. This is the day that you've made, and we're rejoicing, and we're glad in it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> we get to a serious, I introduce today's topic with a serious subject. The mistreatment of children is an appalling reality in America and right here in Long Island. I read about 300,000 to 500,000 children and, uh, uh, and adults are trafficked in America uh, every, each year. Also, you know that during, uh, during this COVID season where a lot of families were home, for many families, instead of enjoying their family, there was much more child abuse. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, because you're home more and facing problems, that's not a license to abuse your children, right? Recently, too, a Patrog man pleaded guilty to abusing as many as eight young children who were enrolled, get this, at his wife's unlicensed daycare. So sometimes bad things go on in certain daycare, right? Day daycares. Coupled with that, too, you know that abortion is a hot topic right now, Roe versus Wade and all of that. And I'm amazed at how many people are protesting and even angri angrily, angrily and vehemently for abortion, like crazy people, for the right to kill children. Think about that. The abuse of children. And, and Jesus is going to talk about how we should treat children in this section, that we should receive them. Isn't it interesting? And you know that the Women's Health Protection Act was one to create, I think Schumer was involved in this thing, our friend Schumer. I don't get into politics too much, so I just mentioned his name. The Women's Health Protection Act created a national right to abort a baby up to the moment of birth. Wow. Talk about the abuse of children. And then, are they not making a push to indoctrinate kids in school? To confuse them about gender? So that at times, what's going to happen is a kid will come, become confused, want to change his gender, and then it's going to, the issue will be forced. An otherwise okay kid is kind of confused, and then the system pushes them the wrong way. My friends, this is what's happening. And all of this is coupled with a growing sentiment against Christians, the gospel, and a good moral stance. So I don't want to depress you with the way to... Things are going, but that's the way it's going. On a good note, churches teach the truth. And we try to steer things right, the right way. Jesus himself, was he not concerned about children? Isn't he the one that said, let the children come to me? Jesus is concerned about children and his people and how they're treated. He values children. He values believers, as we'll see in this text. And you know that even for his men, when he was teaching them to be humble, he brought a child in front of them and said, you've got to be like him. That's the context of Matthew 18, right? The disciples were arguing among themselves, who's the greatest? Bunch of Muhammad Ali's. By the way, isn't that a very carnal and fleshly thing to do? Imagine if after this church service, we're arguing who's the greatest among us. They were much too concerned at that time about status and, and positions in the kingdom. Rather than humble themselves and be concerned about humble service to the Lord. So that's when Jesus took a child and brought him front and center and said, you got to humble yourself like this kid to enter the kingdom of heaven. Children at, in that society were of low status. 
There was no desire. They had no desire to be prominent. They couldn't. They were dependent. They were lowly. This little child was the best example of the type of humility that leads to being great in God's kingdom. People must turn away from their sin and their self-seeking and be humble. Humility at its baseline is thinking about how much you need the Lord. We're lowly, we're sinful, we need Jesus first to be forgiven of our sins, we need to trust him as Lord and Savior and be forgiven, and then all of our Christian lives we need to kind of stay low and say, Lord, I need you. So you pray often, you read the Bible often, you fellowship often because you need it. If we don't do those things often, it's a type of pride. It's a type of pride. And true humility is thinking about how much you need the Lord and really not thinking of yourself at all or not too much. We need to take care of ourselves, sure. But humility is thinking of others as more important than yourself, as it says in Philippians 2. So in our text, Jesus is continuing to talk about children and how they should and should not be treated. Okay? He's going to talk about children, and then he's going to talk about children who believe in him. So that's why we would believe that he's talking about also about believers, comparing believers to be like little children. In a sense, we're all little children in his sight. So you'll see in the text, he almost imperceptibly, he just kind of switches modes, but you'll see it. Look at verse 5. First point this morning, on your outlines. Receive children and fellow believers warmly. If you're a real believer in Christ, you're going to receive other believers with open arms. Oh, what if they're different on a couple dot? As long as they know the Lord and they believe salvation by faith alone and Christ alone, that's your brother or sister in Christ. You might want to help them with some other things, but we need to receive others more warmly than we do. That may be, that may be different in some things, right? He says in verse 5, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. The word he uses for receives is to welcome somebody like an honored guest. This is a loving reception. The word was used for receiving traveling ministers. Kind of almost like, you know, back then there weren't that many hotels, right? So Christians' houses were hotels, and you receive somebody into your house. That's the way we're supposed to receive other believers and children. Children, little children, are precious to Jesus. And to receive a child in his name is akin to receiving him. You see how he said that? You receive that child, it's like receiving me. Whatever you do to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. That's how much he cares for children and believers, for that matter. Remember the time when children were being brought to Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them, and for some reason the disciples were rebuking people. I don't know why. Stop bringing the kids to Jesus, right? I don't know what they said. But Jesus said, I know what he said, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. That's why I'm getting a little ticked off about all the teaching that hurts children and gets them thinking the wrong way about the Bible, gender, whatever it is. It's not good. It's not good. It's causing children to stumble. We're going to find out that Jesus does not like when children are caused to stumble. doesn't like when believers are caused to stumble. Do you realize how much, if you have trusted Jesus today as your Savior, do you realize how much he loves you? He does love you with an everlasting love. Remember in Ephesians chapter 3? 
If you're quick, you can turn there, but if not, just listen. In Ephesians 3, it talks about how much, how big the love of Jesus is for believers, how immense it is. And so when Paul is praying, he's, he's praying for believers, and he says in verse 18 that believers would have the strength to comprehend, watch this, with all the saints, what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That's how much he loves us. You can't even, you can't even measure it right. It's too big. That's how much he loves believers. And that's why we should welcome other believers, right? He loves them. He loves you. He loves them. And we love each other. A lot of Jesus' commands had to do with love. Love one another as, as I have loved you. He went to the cross. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. A husband would, should be willing to sacrifice for his wife, even as, if, as his life if, if necessary. And so we're to treat one another well. What does it say, though? What does this say for the role of mothers? Isn't it a holy and sacred task because they're loving and raising children? Our society downplays that too, doesn't it? To love children, to take care of children is a blessed thing. Ladies, let nobody tell you that uh, going out to work is more important than taking care of your children and, and kind of fault you for staying home. I remember those days, my dear wife, not only, you know, she homeschooled as well at times and all this, and she's home a lot, and I know that others were thinking, what are you doing? What are you keeping these kids home? Why aren't you at work? Why didn't you get a better job and get out there? And That's the way the world is, right? Remember 1 Timothy 2? Remember when it talks about women? It talks about women and how they should adorn themselves in church with modesty and all that and not to draw attention to themselves. And it says that uh, Apostle Paul said in verse 12, I don't permit a woman to teach. I exercise authority over men. Shouldn't be lady pastors, right? But rather she's to remain quiet. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived, became the transgressor. And you say, well, wow, what a text that is. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was. But you know how the stigma for precipitating the fall is reversed? The stigma for being the agent that the devil got to first is reversed by raising children. So how do I know that? Verse 15, yet she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Wow, what an interesting verse. It's not salvation from sin. That's kind of a, a reversal of the stigma. And so it's a blessed thing for mothers to raise children with the things of the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. So anyway, what does it say for children's ministry, like the people that are working with the children right now in the fellowship hall? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I was so glad that uh, after Chila's job on, I think it was on a Friday, we went to a park in Ronkonkoma, and we were just talking, chatting, and who do we see? We see Rob and his match. And he's got this young man with him, and he's taking him around. The young man's very quiet, hardly even wanted to look at us, but he trusted Rob. And it was a beautiful thing to see. It's a beautiful ministry. Jose, Jose does that as well. It's a beautiful thing, fellas and ladies. There's Long Island Youth Mentoring. It's a beautiful. You could become a Christian big brother or big sister or really almost like a, a parent to them in Long Island Youth Mentoring. So consider it. Ask these guys about it if you want to know. Anyway, let's get to the next point. So receiving children warmly, receiving believers is a beautiful thing. 
On the other hand, look at the next verse, which I believe is verse, was it verse 10? Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me. Now, notice how the text changes. Little ones who believe in me. So toddlers can't even believe, right? So now he's talking about believers as well. Children and believers, I believe. Anyway, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. It's a terrible sin to cause children and believers to sin, and it has terrible consequences. Do you see that? Very bad to do this. Very bad to cause a kid to sin. Very bad to cause a fellow believer to stumble. Very, very bad. How do I know it's so bad? Look at the consequence he assigns to it. If you do this, it's better for you to have a very heavy object tied around your neck and be thrown into into depths of the sea. Now think about this for a second. He's talking about a great millstone. Um, When they were grinding out grain, they needed a donkey to pull this thing. The other stone was smaller. The great millstone was the bigger one. Hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Some say it's a ton or something. I don't know exactly how many pounds it was, but it's very heavy. Imagine you're in a boat, and some guy ties that around your neck, a big, giant concrete block the size of a car, and tosses you into the water, and you're going down, and you're, ah, what a horrifying death, right? Do you realize what Jesus is saying? That kind of horrifying execution would be better than the punishment that you're going to face for causing one of his little ones to stumble. This is Jesus saying this. Let that sink in for a moment. You mean that violent death would be better? Yeah. Than causing a little one who believes in me to stumble. Let me ask you a question. Are you causing any children to stumble? How do you do that? Bad example. We can do it as parents. I'm sure I've done it at times, hopefully not in a big way, but in a not a continued way. Bad example, sitting in their presence, encouraging them to do wrong, favoring of one kid over another. I mean, you go down the list. There's a lot of ways. Because it says in Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, expecting too much of them, letting them get away with too much. As they get older, being on them too much, not giving them freedom. And there's so many ways to frustrate a kid. And by God's grace, we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. And then you think of the traffickers and others. I wish they were hearing these words, right? Think of some of these people that are abusing kids very actively and, and protracted over a period of time. Oh, my word, the punishment these guys are going to get. People abusing their own kids. It's a terrible thing. Favoritism, overprotection, but also you know that People have, you know, I mean, spanking kids is okay, but, you know, beating kids in in the wrong kind of way and hitting them with all kinds of things and hurting them and no good, no good. And then what about causing Christians to stumble? You ever do something that goes against somebody else's, else's conscience? Maybe they came out of the rock and roll world and they, you know, and they don't want to hear any rock and roll. Well, you don't play even Christian rock and roll in their presence, right? Might cause them to stumble. 
What if they came out of a drinking background? They were drunk as a skunk all the time, and then they got saved, and, but you feel at liberty to have a glass of wine at home. When they come to your house, should you give them a glass of wine? Should you even drink it in their presence? Oh, we have to use our heads not to cause others to stumble. Where does the Bible say that? Remember Romans 14? I'm not, I, can't go, I don't have time to go through the whole section. Read it on your own sometime. But it says basically there, there were some people that were convinced they could eat only vegetables. And they were concerned about meat sacrificed to idols, which if a piece of meat is sacrificed to the idol, it doesn't mean nothing. But some people who came from a background of idols and idol worship, it's going to go against their conscience for you to eat meat sacrificed to idols in their presence or to give it to them. So I think some of them stuck to vegetables. That text says don't pass judgment on other people on things that don't matter or matters of opinion. Even in that, in that context, it said some hold one day higher than another. Some people celebrate St. Patrick's Day and they got green all over them. Who cares? Let them do it. Oh, that's sinful. Some people celebrate Christmas. Some don't. At all, all that stuff doesn't matter. What does matter is Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us, not let us not pass judgment on one another, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Maybe somebody just gets saved. Maybe somebody comes to you and maybe they have a song and they sing it in, you know, and it's a rap song or something and you don't like rap. But the kid just got saved. Let him sing his rap song. You know what I mean? Sometimes you got to know. Sometimes you got to use wisdom. Don't put stumbling blocks in the way of somebody. Somebody brand new saved and you're going too much on them too fast. Verse 21 of that same chapter says, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So we, we have to use, you know, we really got to think. I don't want to do something that causes somebody else to stumble. I don't want to play music that it causes them to stumble. I don't want to expose my wife and my children to things that are harmful to them. I don't want to be legalistic on somebody. I don't want to be divisive in a church and cause problems. I don't want to cause people to sin. And neither do you. So that was the second point. Don't cause God's children to sin. First one was receive children and fellow believers warmly. Praise God for our brother Vincent and Yasmin. They received us into their home for the Bible study. I think we stayed till what, 11 at night? It was fellowship. Four or five hours of straight fellowship, you know. It's beautiful. They received us into their home. Gave Sheila some plants on the way home. Everything. And good food and everything. Don't cause people to stumble. It's the opposite, right? Don't cause people to stumble. Don't be the type of Christian that almost other, you don't, other people don't want to be around you because you're just... Grumpy, angry, impatient, too much of the time, right? Legalistic on everything, right? Anyway, third point. Stay away from the world's temptations. Look at this one, verse 7. Jesus says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. Woe. That means judgment, right? That's not like woe like a horse or something. That's woe to the world for temptations to sin. Watch this. For it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Brothers, sisters, and friends, since Adam and Eve sinned, every human is prone to sin. Sin is in human hearts, and it's in human institutions, the evil world system, the Bible calls it, and it's going to multiply temptations. 
right? Magazine racks. On your phone, your internet, there's all kinds of wrong things. Pornography is everywhere, right? Or not even just pornography, but other stuff, right? Light, light porn and inappropriate things. That's just one thing. If you go to the average college secular campus and you take certain courses, you're going to hear a whole lot of bad stuff. I heard it, and my wife heard it in our day. I mean, I finished college in 1985. I was hearing bad stuff at my college. Against the Bible, against... I remember taking one... Okay, yeah, taking one course. The biological basis of sex, sex differences. And the professor... Lady professor was proud of her son because he went to school with a bow in his head. And then guy, they were saying, how do you know you're a boy? And he pulled his pants down in school. And she thought it was great. At least back then, they know if you have the right privates, who you are. So I guess she was happy that he proved he was a boy by his privates. It's even getting worse now. And that was in 1984, whatever it was. And it's gotten worse, 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 worse. And this is where we are now. Temptations will come, right? Even advertising wants you to buy things that you can't what? Afford. And there's plenty of car dealers and other guys waiting for you. Just wait. They don't care about your budget and your life. They just, man, if they can get you to sign in that 500 a month car, got them. You know, what if they put notches on their belt? Anyway, I'm laughing, but it's not funny. The temptations are everywhere, aren't they? Temptations to greed. Power, politics, you know, oh, my word. But take heart. God is sovereign over the evil world system, isn't he? He's sovereign over it. It does say there it's necessary that temptations come. That's an interesting statement. It's going to, I mean, they're there. That's why you've got to pray in the Lord's Prayer, deliver me from, deliver me from temptation. We need to pray, pray that, right? And by the way, do you realize that even husbands and wives can cause each other to sin? Say, what are you talking about? Well, what about Eve? What about Eve? You know, it says in Genesis, she took of its fruit. Remember when the devil came to her and deceived her, tricked her? Its fruit and ate, and she gave it also to her husband. Ladies, you see what you know? I'm not saying you see what you did. But he took it. But he took it, and they, they both fell into sin. Actually, Adam is blamed for the fall of the race. Romans brings his name up, not Eve. Isn't that interesting? What about Jezebel? Book of Revelation. Remember that church in Thyatira when Jesus is speaking to the churches? And they tolerated a woman named Jezebel who called herself a prophetess and taught and seduced God's servants to sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. God gave her time to repent, and she did not want to. Verse 22 of Revelation 2, Behold, I'll throw her unto a sickbed. And those, see, God doesn't want, he doesn't like when people cause each other to stumble, does he? Behold, I'll throw her unto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I'll throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. Her children being, mean the ones that followed her in the sin. Well, let, let me bring up a man, so we're not just mentioning women. Jeroboam, remember Jeroboam in the Old Testament? He promoted sacrifices to golden calves. He built shrines on high places and appointed priests who were not qualified to be priests, weren't even Levites, and led Israel to sin. 
And God doesn't like it because even, he said, Israel is the apple of his what? So are you. So am I who trusted Christ. So when people mess with you, even at your job and other places, if they're messing with you, they're messing with the wrong guy. I don't know if you would tell them that like, just like that, but you might tell them I'm a child of God and I'm concerned for you. You're, you know, I don't know. You might tell them something. Show them a verse. It'll scare them a little bit. I know Maria's got a certain boss there that I, I, I got to know. It's necessary that temptations come. But you know what? Jesus said, woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Let us not be the ones to be the conduit of temptation, right? One to pass temptation and to spread it to others and tempt people to sin. Stay away, brothers and sisters, stay away. Doesn't the Bible say in one place, flee immorality? Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. What did Joseph, what did Joseph of old do in Genesis 39? That Potiphar's wife, grabbed him by the clothes and she might have been a beautiful woman and he did the right thing he left his clothes there and he ran like the dickens that's not in the bible he ran i add like the dickens i don't know where, where did that term come from just trying to keep you awake now go to verse eight we've looked at a couple of things so far right the danger of causing God's children to sin and how to avoid it. Receive God's children and believers warmly. Love people, right? The Christians and children. Don't cause God's children to sin or any children to sin. Stay away from the world's temptations, right? Number four is an important one. Look at verse 8 of Matthew 18. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. I mean, he's saying chuck it. Sounds like we should deal radically with sin, right? Some countries, I think, if you do steal, don't they do, do that? Cut, they cut something off? Man, that, that'll deter stealing. That would make Sergeant McNamara's job a little easier in the city if hands were cut off and stuff. Wow. It's a stiff penalty, but it would, who knows, right? The stiffer and swift, the Bible says in another place, the stiffer and swifter a penalty is, it dissuades sin. Wow. If your hand or foot caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame, technically it would be, than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into fire. The point is to radically deal with sin. You know, cutting off one part of the body is not, it's not really, it's not uh, meant to be uh, literal, okay? Because a guy could steal with his other hand. It's going to get to the eye in a second, right? If a man is lustful with both eyes, you cut one eye, what, the, what is a lustful guy going to do anyway? He'll have a patch on one eye and still be looking at the women with the other eye. If you take a boat, mess up both his eyes, he's got enough sin in there already to lust. So that's not the solution, right? Verse 9. The point is to deal swiftly and quickly with your sin and do whatever you can to remove the temptation. Whatever you got to do. If the Sears catalog is causing you to stumble, don't get the Sears catalog anymore. Sears is gone anyway. There's no catalog. Look at verse 9. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's like you got to do whatever you got to do to stop sinning, to repent of your sin. Jesus gets graphic here. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. And again, I don't want the men of the church to come in here with a patch next Sunday on one eye. It's not the point. 
Get into the Bible. Get into fellowship. Get some accountability and get away from the sins. You say, what if you have to shut off? I, what if you have to shut off the Internet on your cell phone? I mean, if you got to do it, you got to do it. I mean, this sounds like radical to me. What if you got to go home a different way because something's causing you to stumble on the way home? What if there's an evil man or woman, I've used men too, in your neighborhood or something and you can't go near, then you don't go near. You see how, it's not just sexual sin or anything else. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus brings up the same type of comments in the context of lust, right? I'll read that because it's a parallel verse. Matthew 5, 27, you've heard it was said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So see how Jesus tries to nip it in the bud and cut it at the earliest point of problem? He says, don't even lust in your heart. Just, you know, repent right away. Um, go to 1 Corinthians 9. This is a really good text. Verse 24. The Apostle Paul gives us a great illustration in his own life of how much he wanted to stay away from sin. He's even going to talk about beating his body. Again, not literally, I don't think. But he would do everything he could to stay away from sin. If you're an impatient person, you need to memorize verses on patience. And you need to maybe figure out why you're so impatient. And work on it, if that's yours. Everybody's got something. If you're jealous of other people, you've got to figure that one out. Why aren't you satisfied with the way God made you and the gifts he gave you? You are who you are and the gifts he gave you and he loves you as you are and you can be used as you are. There's so many sins, right? So the Apostle Paul is talking in general about sin and his illustration is interesting. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. He's talking about your Christian life overall. You want to run to serve Christ with honor and glorify him so you can be rewarded by him, right? You're kind of going for the gold spiritually. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. That's a beautiful word. Isn't that what's needed, self-control? You ever run your mouth too much? That's a self-control issue, isn't it? We've all done it. Haven't you like said something and you wish you didn't say it? Whether it's a curse whether it's something to your husband, your wife, your kids, your neighbors, people at your job that you shouldn't have said. Not always cursing, just other things. You've been um, unkind to somebody with your words. It's easy to do, isn't it? Self-control. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Think, think about what athletes go through. Think about how many workouts they have a day. Think about how they limit their eating. Think about how they train, especially if they're training for a marathon. I mean, some of these people, you know, you know, running, you know, 10 miles in the morning, 10 miles at night. It's wild. I was in cross country one year and only one year. That's grueling sport. It's like, it's, it is grueling. It's torture, really. But some people put themselves through it, right? And they do it so they can receive what? They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Hey, if somebody got a gold medal in the Olympics, you know, I'm not going to fault them for that. But I would also tell them, hey, you got the gold medal. Proud of you. It was amazing, amazing um, self-control, amazing discipline. 
But my friend, what about spiritual, in your spiritual life? Let's talk about your spiritual life. Because you don't want to win all the gold medals, all the Pulitzer Prizes in the world, and end up going to hell, right? What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Not just money, but, you know, rewards and accolades and, and doesn't know the Lord. So now look what he says. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. When somebody's boxing or practicing boxing, they're, they're practicing to, you know, to get the shot the right way, right? To hit the, to hit the, to hit the mark. In the same way in your spiritual life, the Apostle Paul is now going to say he really thinks about himself. He thinks about the sin problems he has, the sins that so easily entangle, and he's working hard on getting his body under control. He's figuring out how to do it to the point of almost saying he's beating his body. But you know what he's saying. He is keeping himself in line. Whatever he has to do to keep himself in line. Look at verse 27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Wow. Whatever it takes. I know, I think there's a song out there, whatever it takes, right? First thing, how do we apply all of this? First thing, without Jesus, I have to let you know, if you haven't trusted Christ yet, you have a sin nature that is there and it's going to take you places and you don't have the restraints that a Christian would have. And so, without Jesus, your sins are not forgiven and your sin nature can run its course. And you don't have what you need to curb it. So think about that. Think about how loving Jesus was. You know, talk about somebody wanting to take care of the sin problem, right? God loved the world so much that he sent his son to bleed and die on the cross, as you know, rose from the dead, as you know, right? We've, I think we've all heard that. Um, I'm talking to many people, though, that they don't realize that their sin is going to get them in trouble. This whole text that we looked at of causing God's children to sin, how to avoid it, the best way not to cause others to sin is that you've got to stop yourself, and you can't stop yourself, I'm telling you. You first need, if you haven't trusted Christ, you need, him, you need to trust Him as your Lord and Savior. And you know what? If you call in the name of Jesus, the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And how do I get saved? Believe in Jesus. And recognize that he died to pay for your sins. And that he's perfect. And he's the Savior. And you need really to call out to him for salvation. To ask him to forgive you. To turn in your heart as if God is working on you. Because if you are coming to Christ, the Holy Spirit's working on you and drawing you. So now you're recognizing that you're sinned. You want to turn away from sin. You're admitting. And you're placing your full faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, not trusting your own works, your goodness, money to get you into heaven. Nothing gets you into heaven but Jesus. First step. Secondly, if you've done that, you've started to humble yourself already, and the Christian life is a humbling life. Where is the pride? We're only sinners saved by grace. He, it's all, he gets all the credit for his salvation. We get zero. So if he saved us, there's no, it shouldn't be pride. What are we prideful about? And so now, we should be like Jesus, who was willing to leave heaven and come down to die. He humbled himself, right, to the point of death, even death on the cross. We should be humble. 
we should consider others in Philippians 2 more important than ourselves. So now we're using our time, energy, and resources to be a blessing to other believers and to the lost. It's a great life, isn't it? And much joy comes from that. You might not get many earthly rewards for doing that, but the joy of serving him, eternal rewards, it's the way to live. A life of humility, using everything you have for his service and his glory and the benefit of others. All the gifts, like Paul says in Corinthians, are to be used for the edification or the building up of each other. I love when it says let no, in Ephesians, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only a, such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it might give grace to those who hear. Imagine if we did that most of the time. None of it, we're not going to pull it off perfectly. Nobody can pull it off perfect, but, but strive for it. Lord, today, help me to say the right things to everybody I meet. Lord, help me to do the right things. Help me to treat my husband, my wife, my kids, the people at my job, the unbelievers in the neighborhood, even the ones that are ornery, even the guy that cuts me off. Let me pray for him. Right? Am I right or wrong? I'm trying to be right about these things. And what do we need, though? You're going to need God's word to do this, right? If you're saved, you're going to need a whole bunch of his word coming in. You're going to need prayer. You're going to need fellowship with God's people. You know, I praise God for Brother Vincent. I mean, he worked so hard. I don't know if you knew, but he has 12-hour shifts. No wonder why he wanted the fellowship so much. He's at his job 12 hours a day. Get to know Vincent. Good brother. Get to know their family. And you get to know each other. You know what you're going through. and ah, It's a blessing. You need fellowship. We need loving accountability. As you get to know somebody, you get to know what they're facing. I say it again. I've said it before. One of the best things that ever happened to me was when years ago, two pastors approached me and said, we, we lost our accountability partner and we want you to be part of our threesome. Those men were such a blessing. Such a blessing. I can't tell you what close fellowship does. Each one of us here should have a, a prayer partner at the very least. Have somebody that, you know, you've gotten to know. And you have a mutual love and trust even. And then when you're going through the hard times, you can tell them even first and foremost, perhaps. Even a sin problem. It'll help you. None of us is an island to our own. We all got defects, and if we don't, if we're not in fellowship, it's going to come out. And your husband or wife knows, right? Your husband or wife knows your defects. My wife knows my defects. But it's loving accountability, right? Help each other. You say, what if I pass or I'm in sin? Or I have a sin problem? Well, Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Just start fessing up. If we confess our sins, 1 John says, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Start confessing to the Lord. What if I'm still, I'm still, it's still not working. James chapter 5 says to come to the leaders of the church. If you come to me, we'll pray in the office, we'll well, I'll spend time with you to help you through things. If you're a woman, myself and a woman from the church, or a couple women or something, we'll figure out something for you. 
don't want you to be struggling in sin. doesn't have to be. You can break free. Even David. I mean, what did David do? David committed the twin sins of adultery and murder. Go to Psalm 50, 51 as an ending point. Go to Psalm 51. I'm basically going to read through it. We need to really come before the Lord and confess our sin, have a real desire not to sin, a real desire to be cleansed. And hey, Jesus, right? David didn't even uh, have Jesus. Uh, Jesus didn't already die yet when David did his sins, right? We're in a time period where Jesus already died. His blood was shed. And so the truths in Psalm 51 are all the more true that Jesus can cleanse us, right? Can he cleanse you from anything? Can he help you through anything? He certainly can. He's our advocate. Psalm 51. I'm just going to read through some of it, and then we'll close out. And by the way, the Psalms are beautiful. If you're going through hard times, read the Psalms. If you're in sin, read the Psalms. You want to know God better, read the Psalms. You could do one a day. It's very easy. And get through it in what? 365, half a year. 365 days in a year. There's 150 Psalms, right? Something like that. Psalm 51. Notice how serious David is about his sin. Finally, he wasn't for a while, right? Now, now he was. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. He's appealing to God's character, right? His love. According to your abundant mercy. And God is merciful. Blot out my transgressions. He gets serious, doesn't he? Wash me. I mean, in a Hebrew, this Hebrew is like scrub me. Scrub me up. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know that my transgression and my sin is ever before me. By the way, believer, you know, when you're sinning, you know, you're not a happy camper, are you? You kind of know, I'm, I'm not right. I didn't say what was right. I'm, I'm at odds with this person, or I didn't do the right thing in my, whatever it is. I took a pen from my job. You know, sometimes we're, we get convicted for small stuff because the Lord is with us, right? The Holy Spirit works on us. I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Then verse 4, look what he does. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. Sin ultimately is against who? It's against other people too, but ultimately. So he's convicted. He's doing some good confessing and repenting here. This is good confession and good repentance right here. He sinned big, but he repented big. So that you may be justified in your words, God, and blameless in your judgment. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Here's the, here's the problem. In sin did my mother conceive me. We're all born in sin. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me. Here he goes again. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Don't you want to be singing and praising God again if you're a believer today in sin? Don't you want to get back to putting 88.9 on and singing, or 95.9, or 90.9, or 5.7, and hearing sermons and praising God and being joyful in your house? The joy is available for all of us. I guess even for David, and he did some big sins, right? Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken, very serious, the bones that you've broken rejoice. He was not doing well having sinned and not confessing his sin. He was wasting away. Psalm 32 is his waste away psalm. The man was wasting away. 
You don't want to waste away in your sin, even a believer. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Verse 10. Create in me a what? Oh. If I could sing a solo, I'd sing it right now, but I can't sing. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I don't know if Josh wants to come up and help us sing that one. I don't know. I don't know. He says no. Maybe one stanza of a hymn related to this anyway. Hint, hint. The reason I pick on Josh is that at night he helps us um, without music and he belts out the, that's out the hymns for us. Create in me a clean heart, O God, spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not the Holy Spirit from me. Here it is. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing heart. A believer in sin doesn't have that much joy. A believer who confesses and repents, there it is, it's restored again. Then, then you get back on track. You're ever so off course, and I, I've told you before, there's been times in my life as a believer where I'm just not right, and I didn't even want to talk to unbelievers. And maybe I saw a Christian, and I wasn't in the supermarket, and I'm like, oh, let me go the other way. You ever, you know, there's been times in my life, why should I lie? And I bet that's happened to you as well. There's been times. Thankfully, not recently. Anyway. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Wow, if I get my act together, I can then be a blessing to other people, right? Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, so I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a... Here it is. It's all about everything's humility. Humility is the key to greatness. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken and contrite spirit. Oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. 